We are spending together on Sunday mornings a summer in the Psalms. And uh, this morning we want to continue that uh, series by looking at another uh, psalm, uh, one that was actually submitted uh, by uh, one of you. And we'll get to that psalm in uh, just a moment. But I want to say a, a couple of introductory kind of things to, to set the stage for uh, this particular psalm. There was a Roman statesman who lived in the 6th century A.D. by the name of Cassiodorus. And among other things, Cassiodorus was able to exert his uh, Christian influence uh, really throughout uh, the Roman Empire and in a number of ways uh, saved, at least at this time, the Roman Empire from uh, being uh, overrun by barbarians, which eventually, of course, uh, happens. But one way that he was able to uh, exert his influence throughout the Roman Empire, he wrote a little commentary on the book of Psalms. And he is, is credited as, as being the first to identify seven Psalms that uh, are written around the theme of penitence and uh, really emphasize uh, the concept of confession. And those seven psalms are Psalms 6, 38, 51, probably the most popular of the seven, Psalms 102, 130, and 143. And the seventh is the psalm that we want uh, to study this morning, and that is Psalm 32. So if you brought your Old Testament this morning, turn to Psalm uh, 32, because that's, that's the psalm we'll be uh, studying uh, this morning. And not only does it uh, communicate a very, a very powerful message uh, through, through the psalm itself, We'll see here in just a little bit, it, it was a psalm that obviously uh, remained very influential among uh, God's people because Paul quotes from Psalm 32 in Romans chapter 4, and we will make note of that in just a little bit. Well, this psalm, uh, like the previous psalm we studied, Psalm 23, is attributed uh, to David in the inscription or uh, the heading, uh, which, as, as I've mentioned previously, is actually verse 1 in the Hebrew uh, Old Testament. And I don't think I, I have mentioned this, but there are 73 psalms which are attributed to David in uh, the inscriptions as well as in Acts 4.25 in Hebrews 4.7 to additional psalms which have no heading are attributed to David. And so you take the 73 plus the 2, you get 75 of the 150 psalms that we have in the book of Psalms that were written by David. But also, for the first time, we, we come across a little phrase. It's also, not only was it written by David, it's also known as a maskil. Now, it's always interesting uh, to look at a variety of ancient Hebrew words, and scholars really don't know the meaning, always, of some of these words. 
it is, we find this word in about 13 uh, of the inscriptions or headings of the Psalms. It's the first one in the book to be designated uh, this way. Uh, evidently, it is, it is a category of, of song of some type, all right? but its precise meaning remains unknown. Most scholars will suggest that it is related to a word that we actually find in uh, verse 8, the word instruct or teach. And so if that's the case, it might mean something like a song that teaches or a song of instruction. Our, our grandson Jet loves to sing, and one of his favorite songs is the ABC song. Well, you could say that the ABC song is a song that teaches. It teaches the alphabet. It is a song of instruction. And so it might be that that is the primary meaning or connotation of uh, a mascal. It is a song which teaches something. And again, we're going to see in verse 8 here in just a minute exactly what David wants to teach or instruct through this psalm. As I mentioned a moment ago, it is a song uh, or a psalm that is typically labeled as uh, a penitence psalm or a psalm of confession because David reflects on a season of ignoring and refusing to confess sin or acknowledge sin. This psalm is often connected to his affair with Bathsheba that we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In fact, Psalm 51, one of the other seven uh, psalms of confession or psalms of uh, penitence, has in its inscription that very event or circumstance in David's life. And so often... Even though we don't find that historical connection in the uh, inscription here in Psalm 32, it is often seen as a sequel to Psalm 51. So the connection, whether historically correct or not, does provide a good illustration of the kind of issue that David addresses in this psalm. It's one, again, of repentance and confession. Well, I've divided this psalm into uh, four sections. The first section, he describes the blessing of forgiveness. Listen to verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are covered, whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Well, we discussed the word blessed in the very first sermon in this series when we studied Psalm uh, 1. And I mentioned that particular morning that a number of English uh, versions translate this Hebrew word as happy. And I, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's, that's fine as long as you understand that, that happy does not capture the, the real sense or significance of this word since happiness in our language usually can be something very superficial. It, it kind of depends on the circumstance. 
If those circumstances are favorable toward us, then we experience happiness. But, but this word goes a little deeper than that. Regardless of the circumstance, uh, wherever we might find ourselves, whether circumstances are favorable toward us or not, there is a settled state within us because of our relationship with God. And so we can be joyful. We can feel blessed. And so to be blessed is to be the recipient of divine favor. And so the word refers to this persistent joy that comes from being right with God. And in these two verses, the person who is blessed is the person who has been forgiven. The blessing of forgiveness. David does something uh, I find interesting here in these first two verses. He uses three different words to describe the nature of sin as well as three different words to describe and explain God's forgiveness. Uh, the first word for sin that the NIV translates as transgressions often is found in the context of a rebellion, uh, a revolt. We might even choose the word mutiny. It's when we uh, intentionally uh, revolt or rebel against God. And the word of forgiveness that is attached to that means to be taken away or to be carried off. And so God takes our rebellion and he takes it away, or he carries it off. The second word, sin itself, is the typical word uh, that we usually think of or define as missing the mark. It describes failure to be obedient to God's will for our lives in, in some form or fashion, whether intentional or unintentional. And again, David uses a different word to describe or explain what God's forgiveness is. And he uses the word covered. Uh, so God can take our sin and he covers it. He conceals it. He hides it. And of course, as Christians, we know what covers our sin. It's the blood of Jesus, as we have sung about uh, just a moment ago. And then the third word, uh, for sin in verse uh, 2 has that idea of going astray, of, of deliberately choosing the wrong road. In fact, uh, one word study suggested waywardness as a good definition for uh, this Hebrew word. And then the third and final word for uh, forgiveness in these first two verses is, is a word really from math. You, you, you might remember uh, once upon a time, I was a math guy. In fact, I have, a, I have a math degree. Two plus two equals four. That's about all I remember. It's about the extent of it anymore. But it means to not count something or to not calculate something. Or if you take this word and put it in a uh, business or an economic context, it means not to be credited or not to be charged. And so in this sense, God does not take our waywardness, our sin, and credit it to our sin account. 
And it's that idea that we're going to see Paul seems to pick up on in Romans chapter 4 here in just a minute. But there is also another blessing that David kind of slips in there at the end of verse 2 when he says, Blessed are those who, in, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Well, well, what does he mean by that? Well, he's going to explain that when we get down to verse 5. There's going to be a little parenthesis in verses 3 and 4. But the spirit in which there is no deceit, we will see in verse 5, is the spirit that is willing to be open and vulnerable before God. As if we can hide anything from God anyway. So just keep that little thought in mind while we uh, cover verses 3 and 4. After talking about the blessing of forgiveness... He then moves, it didn't move, it didn't change. There we go. The burden of silence. Listen to what David says in verses 3 and 4 when he remained silent about his sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Verses 3 and 4 describes what happens when sin is unrecognized or ignored by self and unacknowledged to God. Verses 3 and 4 are an honest recognition that sin blocks life with God. And I would certainly also make the point that sin blocks life with each other. And, and it's, it's, it's so interesting to me here that David suggests when we refuse to acknowledge or confess our sin, that there are some physical things that might take place within our, our bodies. Right? Uh, he said, my bones are wasting away groaning all day long. It's the power of guilt. And and God has has created us in in, in such a way for those of us who are seeking to please Him in our life. When we do fail, when we do miss the mark, that there is this sense of of guilt and sense of failure within us. And uh, we can feel God's hand upon us. Or as he says, as we feel when we work out in the East Texas humidity in the summer. There's just kind of a wasting away in what happens when when we refuse to act upon that guilt. Will we become desensitized to sin? And sin no longer has the impact upon us uh, to move us to confession and acknowledging it. So we come to verses uh, 5 and 7, and we have the benefit of confession. And that's really the theme here of the psalm. Then I acknowledged acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you, 
while you may be found, surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. David here describes, again, the blessing and the power of confession. It describes the incredible release that comes with acknowledging our sin before God. Verses 6 and 7 assure that forgiveness and prayer are accompanied by God's protection and preservation. One, that's one of the ways God protects us, by forgiving us of our sins. And so this, this transformational act of acknowledging sin and repenting and renewing a relationship with God must not be neglected. And so I think David would say this. Guilt can be destructive, but guilt embraced and admitted per, uh, permits confession, acknowledgement, movement, renewal, and a new communion with God. Uh, I have mentioned uh, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann in the past, and in his commentary on Psalms, he divides all 150, the Psalm, uh, 150 of the Psalms in three uh, ways. There are songs of uh, renewal, there are songs of lament, and there are, are songs of, of recommitment. And this would be one of uh, a psalm that, that Brueggemann would label as recommitment. There is this uh, recommitting of self to God as sin is confessed. And so the psalm uh, concludes in verses 8 and, uh, through 11 with the boldness of trusting God. David says, I will instruct you. Here again is that teaching uh, component of this psalm. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, seeing all of you who are upright in heart. So after this experience that David has moved through, again, perhaps connected with his uh, adultery, sin of adultery with Bathsheba, as the, Nathan, as the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12 confront him and move him through uh, repentance, David desires to teach others. He wants to share the way to freedom. And one of the things that we'll uh, discuss tonight in our lesson on forgiveness uh, there are five or six New Testament words that can be translated as forgive. And kind of the, the root of each one of those words is this idea of, of letting go or being released or being freed. Our, our country has just celebrated freedom. And, and so we all understand uh, how much we love and, and desire freedom. 
And David here is saying it's through our confession, and of course as Christians because of, of Jesus, that we can be free of our sin today. And so David warns against resisting uh, the temptation to, to not acknowledge sin and to continue to live uh, in it. And I have in my notes, he cautions against being stubborn like a mule. I don't know if that's where that phrase comes from, this verse, but it certainly fits. Uh, we often use uh, that phrase uh, to describe stubbornness, a, a, a mule who refuses to do what he should do. And so the person who refuses to confess, the person who refuses to acknowledge sin is like that stubborn mule. So Psalm 32, we learn of the blessing of forgiveness, the burden of silence, the benefit of, con of confession, and the boldness of trusting in God. So I want to suggest five ways that we might apply uh, this particular psalm uh, this morning. First of all, confession is good for the soul. Now, I, I did a little, little research on, on this phrase, and no one knows for sure where this phrase originated. You don't find this phrase word for word in Scripture. Certainly, the idea, we see it here in Psalm 32. But the best uh, historians can determine, it was first used in Scotland in the mid-18th uh, uh, century. And it was, it was in the context, again, of, of people who resisted acknowledging wrongdoing. And, and how liberating or freeing confession can be. One of the uh, commentaries I'm using as a resource for this series uh, is written by uh, a man by the name of John Goldengate. And in commenting on this particular verse, he says that, that silence was not a mark of piety in the Old Testament. And what he means by that is... Uh, People in ancient Israel expressed themselves audibly with, with noise in every single circumstance. If they were joyful, they sang. If they were happy, they shouted. If they were experiencing trouble and difficult times, they lamented, they wailed, they cried out, they wept but it was very visible and audible. And the same thing is true here. This is what David is saying about confessing and acknowledging our failures and our shortcomings before God. We, we can't be silent about this. Or, again, we'll begin to feel the heavy hand of the Lord upon us. So confession is good for the soul. Secondly... For those of you who are feel, filling in uh, blanks, confession, and I can't see my screen. That font is really small. It's a little larger up here. Confession of sin to God is a confession of faith in God. Well, what do we mean by that? We, we can take God at his word when he says, 
when we confess, he'll forgive that God does just that. That's why I read 1 John 1, 5 through 10 when we began this morning. Because in that text, uh, John is not only emphasizing uh, confessing and acknowledging our sinfulness uh, through, uh, in, in our forgiveness through, through Jesus, but he's also emphasizing the faithfulness of God. When God says that he'll forgive us when we confess through Jesus, he does just that. They're carried away. They're covered. They're sent off. Uh, they're removed. Whatever word you want to choose for forgiveness. That's what God does with our sin. But go back to verse 6 for just a moment. David says, Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of mighty waters will not reach them. And then go down uh, to verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. In, in these two verses, David emphasizes God's commitment to us. As, as we express our commitment to him, God reassures us of his commitment to us. We find uh, God protecting us from, from the rising of the mighty waters in verse 6. And then in verse 10, we, we find uh, that, that Hebrew word, kiss it again, uh, that is so difficult to translate into English and is used so often uh, to describe God's commitment and loyal love to us. And we respond to him with the same type of loyalty and love as well. So commitment to God means commitment from God. And you know what? God has a pretty good track record, right? He does, he's done pretty good uh, throughout human history of taking care of his people. Number four. And I'm going to use some older words here. The non-imputation of sin amounts to the positive imputation of righteousness. All right, let's unpack that a little bit. Now let's go to Romans 4. In Romans 4, uh, Paul is arguing that justification, our relationship with God, is based on Jesus and what Jesus ac accomplished on the cross and not works of the law. And in chapter 4, his example is David. And so he begins in verse 1 to, to use David as kind of exhibit A, if you will, for uh, uh, a person who is justified by faith, not by works of the law. And then we get down to verse 6, and he refers, exhibit B, you might say, to Psalm 32. He says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are covered, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Now the word imputed that I've used here is just an older word, which means to count or to credit or to charge against. 
And so what David, or, or excuse me, what Paul is doing here in using or quoting David from Psalm 32, the non-charge of sin amounts to the positive charge of righteousness. So he, he takes it and he puts a little twist on it. Rather than God crediting our account with sin because of Jesus and because of our faith in him, and when we're baptized into Jesus, we now are put in Christ rather than uh, computing or adding sin to our account, he instead adds righteousness. And so the power here of, of forgiveness, of what it means for those of us who are in Christ. It means we have this relationship with God and he can declare us righteous because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so number five, there is nothing, there is nothing like being forgiven. We experience that with our little children. He had, to use, he had to say it more with his parents than he, than he did with his grandparents, but Jeff would have to say to mom or dad, I'm sorry, you know. And then, then he's free. <laughs> you know, it's, and it's, it's really kind of that simple for those of us in Jesus, right, as we seek to please our Lord and our Creator. But there is nothing like being forgiven. And so when we are able to confess, we, we release ourselves from the burden of guilt and sin. So to conclude this morning, I want to go back to verse 8, where, where David kind of assumes uh, the, the first person here, and, and it's as if now he is, he is singling out each person who maybe is singing this song or reflecting on this psalm here, here is what I want to instruct you about. Here, here is what I want to teach you. I want to teach you how to confess, how to acknowledge. Well, there might be any number of things, but I want to suggest two. Learning to, to confess begins with an admission of humanity. It, it begins with the simple fact that we are human and we will make mistakes. And so we are in need of forgiveness from God. But, but we must be willing to admit that. All right? And so we, we, we overcome pride and we remember, we remember uh, the, the, the beauty of the cross and what it cost God to secure our freedom in Jesus, but it not only takes an admission of uh, humanity, but it also takes an attitude of humility. We overcome that pride. And, and we remember that what uh, we want to do for ourselves, we can't. Only God could do that. And he did it through Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so this morning, as we uh, reflect upon uh, Psalm 32, I, I, I hope that we see the significance of, of confession, of acknowledging our, our sinfulness, uh, 
if we went to Psalm 51, and, and we put that in that historical context of David's sin with Bathsheba, and his sin against Uriah, her husband. There was a very specific sin there that David needed to acknowledge. But I think here in Psalm 32, it's, it's, a, little, it's a little broader. And, and I would even argue in the text that we read from 1 John 1, certainly we, we, we confess and we acknowledge the individual sins that we commit. If we've been untruthful to someone, or if we have taken something that doesn't belong to us, or if we have cheated someone. But it also includes, on a broader level, just you know, the acknowledgement that we are sinful people. And just, just the, the overall sinfulness that characterize our lives. And, and so, I th- I th- you know, in, in ancient Israel, there were national days of repentance and confession. And, and I, you know, maybe, maybe it'd be a good Sunday morning exercise to devote one whole assembly to just this idea of corporate confession and repentance and acknowledging to God our sinfulness so that we might be better reminded of what Jesus accomplished upon the cross. But don't don't forget verses 1 and 2, the blessing of forgiveness. And the New Testament makes it very clear that forgiveness is found in Jesus. And so the question this morning is, are you in Jesus? Have you been immersed into Christ? Paul says in Galatians 3 that when we are baptized into Jesus, we put on Christ. Just like I put on this coat, I am in this coat. And so the blessing of of forgiveness comes to those who are in Christ. If you haven't, or if you've already been baptized, well, if you haven't, we'll baptize you this morning. I think the water's warm. I think. Pretty sure it is. If not, it's hot outside. Cold water might enliven us a little bit. Maybe you've been immersed into Jesus, right? But there is still that, that need of, of commitment and loyal love to God. And, and we, even, even when we're in Christ, we often uh, are wayward. We, we go astray, and God wants to move us back. And 1 John is very clear, again, like Psalm 32, if we confess those sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us. We're going to stand, we're going to sing this invitation song. The invitation is from the Lord. If we can encourage you this morning, please come while we stand and